Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to talk another round of football involving the Parramatta Reels and the wider NRL, my good mates, the 60s and Quint. Fellas, good to have you on board for another episode. And looking at a run sheet, an episode that's not going to run for too long uh, for the rare occasion for us. Oh, let, let, let's just see how we can challenge that, John. That's uh, true. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll find some segues and things will pop up, breaking news, or we'll, we'll dry up some sort of idea to uh, get ranting. But uh, big fella, how are you holding up after a very tough week? Uh, well, first of all, uh, a thank you to uh, yourself and Clint for being uh, at the service yesterday. I really appreciated you being there. Uh, was a, uh, it really, the, we had such a, a large group of mourners that turned up and Dad always said he'd lived so long that there'd be no one there to turn up to his funeral. Well, he would have got, got a surprise looking down on it yesterday with a number of people that were there and it's it helped the people that were there really helped the uh, our family to navigate what's always a a tough day for anyone that um you know has to say the final farewells to someone so um thank you for being there and um and I, i i we were talking before with clint and um it seems that People believe that we actually have a Hemsworth as part of the tip sheet. Where, uh, I'm surprised that Cat and Banter is making the uh, the recording here, gents. I thought we were going to leave that in the green room. <laughs> just for just for people, we may at some stage put up a side by side shot of of Clint and Liam Hemsworth. But uh, I, you know, I had never thought of it until uh, one of Yoko's friends at the service yesterday when she saw you said that fella has to be part of the Hemsworth family look at him look at him <laughs> so mate there you go we'll uh, I can't I'll, call I'll, you I'll, I will choose to interpret that as a compliment and I will graciously accept it and say thank you and, and hope that we move on <laughs> well I think I think it was I think it was very much meant as a compliment and um, I mean it would have been easier if she had a said that um, you reminded uh, her of um, of uh, the other Hemsworth, uh, Chris Hemsworth. It is Chris. <laughs> Christopher, yeah, the, big, the I, big unit. Yeah, because, I mean, then we could just call you Thor and be done <laughs> with it. But, you know, I, I, I have to admit I'm not as familiar with some of the roles that Liam has played. So, um, yeah. Look, Look, if, um, if 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 we're talking celebrity lookalikes, and and, and um, the, the the one who does there's a lot of attention is my wife Maria, who is a um, you put her side by side with uh, Gal Gadot, and then and then you're talking celebrity lookalikes. So I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna divert attention there and pray and take this as an opportunity to praise uh, a well-deserved compliment on my beautiful wife, who um you know you 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 you'll forget any type of comparison there whenever you see her. Well, look, that just that just says that you could easily be mistaken for a, 
a Hollywood power couple. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> so, well, we've got some awkward Hollywood comparisons here, and people that probably don't want those comparisons made. You know who would like? You know who would like the Hollywood we'll rub? Move on quickly. <laughs> you know, you know who do, who would like the Hollywood rub and the connection to the Hemsworths and um, everyone else is our sponsors of the show, who are obviously are now unofficially connected to the Hemsworths. Uh, but yes, yes, Big Swing Golf, North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Rowan and Parramatta, making that unofficial Hemsworth connection this week. Thanks a lot to that. Um, but yeah, helping us get the show out <laughs> to you guys each and every week. Uh, but fellas, let's get right into it and hit that stinger. News team, assemble! And more, well, I'll say uh, moves, but uh, signings, re-signings, that sort of thing for the Parramatta Reels. Uh, got a bit of action there this week, uh, some of it developing today. Uh, no outside backs as of yet, boys. We're still waiting to bolster and strengthen that part of the team, but a couple of significant retentions this uh, particular week. Uh, Witteram Greg and Bryce Cartwright both extending their stay in the blue and gold. Cartwright had a, well, I suppose breakout's probably the right way of saying it, but a career year as well for the Parramatta Reels and was a very, very good factor for them in the back row. He's inking a new two-year extension at the club. And uh, Woody, or Wittermere Greg, who I thought was outstanding before he was struck down by a list Frank fracture, uh, and it was still pretty good coming back from it, by the way, uh, has uh, inked a three-year extension. So he's going to be part of the, the core moving forwards, it looks like, which is fantastic. Uh, but uh, yeah, a couple of the senior squad there retained, boys. What do we make of it? Well, I don't think it was any any big surprise there would had been word about it floating around um, behind the scenes for, geez, I, I I reckon it's been must be close to six to eight weeks now. I know that when I wrote the post on the Eels um, squad for next year, and I included both of them in there because, uh, as far as I was aware, the deal had been done. Um, but. Obviously, you know, the, the paperwork has to be finalised and what have you. And we know that the Eels don't ever announce anything until everything's uh, signed, sealed, delivered, rubber stamped, all that sort of stuff. Cardi was not really a surprise. I had a had some uh, a bit of a chat with him about it. Uh, this is going back to the Blue and Gold Alliance um, captain's run. Uh, barbecue with the players and uh, I just asked him how, how things were going and he just said, look, I don't want to go anywhere else. This is my home. You know, my mates are here. Um, he's just said, I'm hoping to get it sorted pretty soon. And I think that's been reflected in uh, the the contract getting done. Um, maybe it was not fast, but it was done with a minimum of fuss. So... Um, good to see that happen. And as you mentioned, Woody, well, I guess he's the one that had the real breakout year, wasn't it, this year? Like, he announced himself as an NRL player. Uh, Clint, you'd be over the moon about uh, about these signings, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and to your point uh, there, 60s, in, in relation to Cardi, I think he even said as much in a couple of... Um, in a couple of club uh, club presses and and um, um, uh, I won't say pregame interviews, um, um, uh, weekly presses um, put out by the club. You know, the, uh, with the journalists um, um, on, on on the Tuesday sessions, 
uh, would regularly ask him about his contract status, and you know, uh, Party would um, very quickly reiterate his that that love and that passion that you touched on. So, you know, um, it's no surprise to see him done, and you know, um, he absolutely had his best year in NRL, let alone in Eels colours this um, this season past, and you know, um, has made a home for himself in the starting side in the back row, and it's now his position to lose. Um, you know, whereas in years gone by, he was absolutely fighting for that position. So, um, you know, couldn't couldn't be um, couldn't be happy with the way in which he's um, he's turned around his career and his his form for us. Um, likewise, with um, with Woody, you know, you've always had the sense that there was a player there, and the club has put a lot of time and and um, investment into Wiramu Greg, and um, it's not a surprise to see him produce the form that he has. But I think. I think we're all getting to a point with him where, you know, and, and, and you know, I'm sure he would admit himself that this was going to be a make or break year for him. And, and boy, didn't he make it. Um, you know, the, the performance against the Rabbitohs and then likewise the week following against the Cowboys really stick out in, um, in front of mind for me where he, he, he not only announced himself as an NRL player, but um, he looks like he's got the potential to be a very good one. So... You know, and boys, um, I, I got to say, I don't recall there being a faster recovery from a Liz Frank injury than what we're achieved this year. It, normally, you'd be out for the um, for for at least a good three to four months with a Liz Frank, but I think Woody turned it around about ten weeks. Yeah, yeah. it was it was actually ridiculous the recovery period. I think the um, uh, to, when I spoke to him about it, the benefit for him well the reason he was able to come back so quickly was i think he didn't have to have any metal work in his leg yeah. as mm. part of the surgery and that meant that he could do, have a, a quicker recovery get get the rehab started um and and more in depth a little bit quicker but look it is a it is a credit to him because as we know is something that probably held him back in the past was his conditioning because mm. he's a big unit and it takes him a while to, you know, build into match conditioning. And he was, he, he obviously did a, a tremendous job at, at maintaining his uh, a reasonably high level of conditioning, even when he was not able to run. So um, full marks to him and the, and the Eels rehab team in, in getting him back so quickly. And, uh, Speaking of the top roster, just as they've bolstered their stocks or sort of re-signed those guys to keep the status quo flowing, they've also lost a significant factor. Josh Hodgson, I mean, we expected it, but and I think he actually unofficially announced it weeks ago, uh, but it has been made official this week. Uh, he will retire from all NRL duties uh, and move on to his career as a coach, which thankfully is with the Parramatta Reels, the club managing to find a way to get him integrated into the coaching staff after he did such a fantastic job as a sort of player coach 60s this year. Yes, and he's basically taking on a role which would leave him as the right-hand man to Nathan Brown as assistant coaching director of the Elite Pathways. And um, this is... Um, it's a... Well, the, uh, the coaching director Elite Pathways is a role that our good friend um, Joey Grimer mm -hmm. was in uh, in the past, um, the role that had been uh, since been taken on by 
Nathan Brown, and now he's he's got a right hand man, as I said, in uh, Josh Hodgson. So this is really the start of Hodjo's career. If if not in the coaching ranks, then I, I guess you know maybe. Uh, and I don't know if you'd necessarily call it administrative, but there's obviously an administrative component to uh, being in in such a role where um, you know there's there's a lot of um, monitoring what's happening with the players that are in the pathways, um, what's happening with the uh, coaching structures and and things like that. It's uh, be quite an enormous task, and you can see why they wouldn't necessarily just have one person that's um, up at the at that management level looking after it. I think it's a good appointment and you can't let go of someone with the, the breadth of knowledge and also the passion for rugby league that uh, Josh Hodgson has because, yeah, it, I think it's been evident to everyone who's ever interacted with him just how much he loves the game. And your thoughts, Quint? Do you like the move for the club, getting them integrated into the coaching structure? I love it. And to echo Craig's sentiments there, you, you never want to lose someone with um, high footy IQ. It's important to um, uh, look after and, um, and and try and hold on to those resources as much as possible. And, you know, I, I know Josh copped a little bit from some sections of the supporter base this year in terms of his on-field form. Boys, I, look, I, I think a lot of it was actually pretty unfair. I thought he did a, um, a pretty serviceable job. You know, granted, it was only, I think, off the top of my head, 12 games that he played. And, yeah, he had some moments um, defensively. But um, our line speed was uh, – he, he also led our line speed um, in those games. And I thought he was uh, an, an important factor in some pretty crucial wins. You know, um, certainly early against the, the Penrith Panthers when we um, hosted them at Combank. Uh, likewise, when we played um, South Sydney. Came up with a lot of crucial plays there, and you know the, the, those are the type of plays. Um, you know, I'm, I'm talking with the line speed and the pressure, and and and, and just you know thinking through the game um, that only come from high IQ footy players. And you know, um, granted, we didn't get to see as uh, much of that on the field as we had hoped. Um, you know, it's good to have him still involved with the club and transition something off the field and 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 help be that resource for um, the players of the future. Yeah, and I think uh, the other thing I'd, I wanted to point out as well was that um, I thought Hodjo, his his form was um, on the um, it, it was improving. Yeah, as, because I mean the Eels were very strong. Yeah, yeah, and and that was to be expected because he he'd come from uh, quite a, a long layoff with uh, injury from the previous year and. Uh, totally new combinations that were there. He'd had an outstanding preseason, and and uh, you know people might uh, um, and and probably rightly so say, "Geez, you got that wrong." Sixties with talking about how influential Hodgson was going to be this year. I, I still maintain if he hadn't had that injury, that we were we were going to see um, him playing an important role in this back end of the season. But, you know, that's now all just speculation. And and in all honesty, I had never seen anyone impress as much in a preseason as Hodgson had, certainly not any newcomer to the team, you know, to, to be new at the club and standing out like he was 
and anyone that went and saw the pre-season, I know they agreed with me because there a number of people would, would come along and watch pre-season training at different times over summer and they all left with the same opinion about Hodgson and what he looked like out there on the training track and and the way he was inspiring the, the other players um, and just taking charge. But so now they get to hang on to that part of Hodgson, that leadership, that footy IQ, that uh, motivating factor that he brings to uh, any group. So, yeah, I think it's an excellent appointment. And again, as part of that development club ethos, you know, let's get the, the kids in the pathways access to the best possible uh, resources. Mm. So, um, and I think it is important that you get players who have been recently playing at a high level to be involved in guiding, um, you know, the, the young, young blokes in pathways. Well, one young pathways player that will be benefiting from the Josh Hodgson coaching appointment is Arpa Tweedle, who has re-signed the Parramatta Eels for seasons 2024 and 2025. Uh, Arpa obviously joined the Eels from Queensland this year, 60s, uh, made a big splash in the SG ball as they went all the way through to the Premiership and then uh, transitioned to the Jersey flag where he did a bang-up job at fullback in that grade. Eels falling one game short of the grand final, unfortunately, uh, but making a hell of a run late in the season. Uh, fair to say it's a good retention and uh, very keen to see what Arpa can produce with a proper pre-season at the club under his belt coming into season 2024. Yeah, I'm keen to uh, know the uh, the details of uh, what level contract yeah, is, it, is. is it Jersey Flag Top 30? Is it Development Top 30? Is it uh, Jersey Flag Development? How, how it's bracketed across those two seasons is important. Yeah, look, he'll be, he'll be doing the an NRL pre-season um, and... Yeah, I'm I'm keen to see whether it's um, it's a development deal that he's on. So um, yeah, as soon as we as soon as we can confirm that, we'll obviously let our listeners know. But he he, he would have impressed you, Clint, as you were a you're a, a fullback in your time, weren't you, mate? Yeah, I, I spent some time in the number one jersey, but uh, certainly not the way that uh, that that Arpa played. I've seen a lot of people online um, sort of speculate or to try and liken him to. Um, current um, NRL fullbacks, and I've, I've seen people toss up both James Tedesco's name and Dylan Edwards' name. And boys, I wanted to put to you, you know, if, if if you had if to compare Harper's playing style to um to someone currently in the NRL, for, for those of our listeners who might not necessarily be as um, familiar with him, how would you describe him? Oh, he's not Teddy. Teddy's very unique nah. in in his running style and the way he plays. Um, you could make an argument for Edwards or Nickel Clockstar. Or even Gufferson in that regard, like just a very well-rounded fullback that perhaps doesn't have a you know a ten out of ten aspect to his game, but is like I said, very well-rounded on that spider graph. So you're going to be seeing lots of sevens and eights across the board. Um, yeah, he he built in really nicely into that SG ball and then flex spine, and and was very good at playing in motion with you know the likes of Boards and Sanders and Lynn. So. He's very good in that part, in that in that regard, which is always a good thing for a fullback because you always want to be backing up and playing off your other playmakers. Um, I'm I'm not really sure if there is a clean NRL comp for him right now. Like I said, a well-rounded fullback, which is you know probably his baseline as it stands heading into 2024. I would say, yeah, the the closest you might compare him to would be 
let me say, a young Dylan Edwards, um, because I, I, I think Edwards is out in a like he's really top echelon. Oh, he, and, he's found and, another gear in recent seasons, hundred percent. Yeah, gear. yeah, and and there are there are aspects to his game that are unique to Dylan Edwards, and he fits the Penrith style. Um, so I guess the comparison that I would say in that regard is he fits the style of playing in the spine with Ethan Sanders, Woods Arthur, and Josh Lynn. Mm. You know, they have, a, they have um, a very good understanding across, across uh, that group of players. And um, he's just... He's missed a consistency to my, with those... To my understanding, he hasn't played a whole lot of fullback mm. uh, in, in his junior rep career. Uh, at least prior to Parramatta, maybe I'm wrong about that. So that if if that's no, true, no, I, I think I, I think I've got I'd, the feeling he was a six previously. He was a five eight. Yeah, I'm 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 not sure, but I I I'd heard similar to what Forty's talking about, where um, it had been a new role for him playing. So if if, if if we are correct in our ponderings there, there obviously is a bit of uh, room to hit a ceiling, like go to a ceiling above where he is right now, um, but. You know, he, he's pretty industrious. He's very well-rounded. That's usually a good thing. You know, he's not an out-and-out speedster, which you'd love to see at fullback. But as we've seen with the likes of Dylan Edwards, Quinton Gufferson, Nickel Clockstar, uh, and more these days, you don't need to be, uh, you know, the, the 0.1% you know, athlete to be an effective fullback. You can absolutely grow a game uh, or, or develop a game that sort of uh, goes around that. So good thing there. One thing I will say, 60s, is... Uh, I believe that that is now, uh, I don't know how many of them, but at least half a dozen of those young players signed to the end of 2025, which is obviously a good thing. You want them contracted for you know at least a couple of years, but it's also potentially a bit of a problem down the road. There's a, a whole lot of them off contract at the same time. Yeah, it's. Um, I think we all hold our breath when we see contracts ending at a, at a similar date, and um, we know that there are um, the player agents would have a little bit of a say. Obviously, it's a very big say in in when these contracts end. And I think the other interesting thing too is that Brad Arthur's signed till the end of twenty twenty five. So it may well be that. Um, there's a number of players, and especially the young ones, that uh, I mean, I'm only speculating here, but locking in for as long as what they, who they know that the, the um, NRL coach will be. So um, it's happened in the past, uh, but as you say as well, there, there is the the downside to that, which is you end up with having to do a whole lot of negotiations. At the same time, provided you let it slide to be that way, the best way around this is as soon as you know that you've got a player that you want to keep and keep as as long as possible, you get the extension done straight away. So, um, yeah, let's let's throw it over then to uh, recruitment and retention to keep on their toes and monitor all these players that are coming off contract and not let them get to the stage where they are, you know, able to negotiate with another club. 
Yeah. Well, um, although yeah. I guess the new the new contract rules will have a bit of a say in that as well. So and obviously the the prime example there, Ethan Sanders, who we didn't discuss in the podcast last week because it was very once again sort of broke in the wake of our recording, but evidently the changes to the contract rules regarding backflips uh, have like sort of reverse grandfather been reverse grandfathered in, which makes him or makes his deal with Canberra not necessarily uh, valid right now. So there is now a chance for the Eels to potentially uh, renegotiate with Ethan Sanders. Uh, I don't want to sit here and sort of spread false hope and be overly optimistic. The fact that there was a contract in place with the Canberra Raiders would mean that the Eels are now facing an uphill challenge in order to convince Ethan to stay. Uh, but evidently they now have a window until round six of the upcoming season in which to uh, potentially uh, get their star halfback to backflip. I don't want to preempt something that I'm working on at the moment. All I'll say, fellas, is I'm currently doing a bit of research on the topic. And if I feel that there's a story in it from the research that I do, when I say a story, I mean something that's worthwhile reporting to our readers. Um, I'll be I'll be putting that together and getting it up on the Cumberland throws. So um, it's uh, how it, it will be a question of um, whether I'm wording it as strong speculation or uh, maybe something that's only a slight possibility of happening. So uh, stand by. All I'll say is just watch that space, stand by to see if I uh, am able to get a little bit more mail on what's and what the go is there. Even beyond that, there is a massive conversation to come out of any, convers- any sort of uh, article you post about if they do keep him like, how do you integrate him into the top, like the top team? Uh, you've already got two star halves there. Um, you've got a fullback that you're talking about transitioning into the centres. Yeah, there, there's some very, very interesting permutations and combinations to get to if there is something to this. But we have to wait and see if it's you know just media speculation or if the Eels actually have something cooking there. Uh, but one thing we do know is that while Josh Hodgson is joining the coaching staff, Dean Witters is stepping down. Uh, he will beautiful step. segue there. Mate. Beautiful <laughs> yeah. segue. You've been you've been on point with your segues, John. Yeah, yeah you're you're on fire, mate. It, I, I don't think we'll I don't think we'll go through this alternating of who <laughs> who leads the run sheet in future weeks. I I just want to lock you. <laughs> in, mate. It's, it's, it's a it's, it's a I'll tell you what. The, the stress of contracts align 2025 for John. The stress yeah. of all this stuff has got. I, I just had a nosebleed out of nowhere, so I've been trying to do the segues while stuffing a tissue up my nose. So I don't know if I can do it. The stress is too much, boys. Getting random capillaries well, bursting a, in my a, nose. What a picture we've painted for the listeners tonight. On the one hand, we're comparing Clint to Liam Hemsworth, nah. and on the other hand, John, we've got John shoving. painting the picture of sti- tissues. Being stuffed up, bleeding nose, uh, his bleeding nose. I mean, it's a. The, I don't think we could get two more contrasting uh, visuals for people there. I it, now it, have it, a, it has been a very visual and illustrative uh, podcast tonight, gentlemen. I have a wonderful tribute to the Saint George Laura Dragons coming out of my nose now for the <laughs> dirty, dirty red V there. Uh, but yeah, getting back on topic, Dino. Uh, he will step down from his role effective immediately, leaving the Parramatta Eels to find a new head coach in the NRLW space. Um, we, we've spoken about it. 
across a number of podcasts. While there's been promising signs in the NRLW, the Eels feel like they've been a step behind most of the competition throughout the last couple of seasons. Yes, they got to the grand final last year, but that was more a sort of factor of it being a four-round competition and the Eels finding you know, the, the right results at the right time. Uh, this year, they end up winning the wooden spoon. Uh, obviously not exactly something you want to have happen, but they also were the first team to concede 50 points in the competition. So Dino steps down, gives the club a chance to go in a new direction. Be very interesting to see what they do here, boys, because you look at the pieces in this team, and there is some like seriously good young talent there across the forward pack and the back line, and even in the spine. Uh, they they need a couple of key recruits, it feels like, and the right person at the helm, and they could go from you know pretender to the contender very very quickly. Yeah, it, will it be? Um, I know they have a very high opinion of Kate Malali. Um, who has been an assistant coach to Dean Witters. Have I pronounced Kate's name correctly there, John? Malali? Malali. It's it's along those lines, so apologies if we got it wrong, Kate. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, most definitely our apologies there. Uh, But, yeah, they have a a high opinion of Kate. Um, I guess the club will be making the decision about whether um, she's ready to take on the head coaching role. Uh, outside of that, obviously, then they might be looking at someone who is experienced in coaching, maybe experienced in coaching in the women's game. And you might say, well, look, is is that essential to be experienced in coaching inside in the women's game? And I, my experience in terms of talking to people who are involved in coaching is that, yeah, it, it is, there is a difference because um, I think there are some different motivations in playing. I, like, in all honesty, there there is a real purity in the motivations of NRLW players that I've seen. Like, it's, um, yes, there was, there's been negotiations for them to get fairer pay deals, but there is a real joy for them in taking the field. And and I'm not saying that there isn't with the NRL players, but, you know, you, you are still talking about um, as much as in the for coaches in the NRL these days, they are having to coach different personalities. It's not like... Um, it's nothing like what coaches would, how they would coach in the past. Um, you are talking about, uh, and you see it all the time, players who are dropped, um, if they've got some sort of profile, they they start agitating for releases. Uh, years gone by, that was just par for the course. And, you you know, you might, a player might be happy about something, but it's just, they accepted it and moved on now you've got so many different personalities you've got so many different um uh, motivations in playing the game and i think it's another dimension when you start to have a different gender who don't have the same background necessarily in playing football uh because a lot of these girls have have they might have started if they've been playing for most of their life they might have had to have taken a break from the game because the 
the age pathways didn't exist as they were coming through. There are some who have got a background in a, say, in rugby union rather than rugby league. Um, or even some other sports. Um, there's players who have background in in soccer and netball and those sorts of things. And and with a professional code being there in rugby league, they take playing, you know, having a shot at that. So I, I think it's um, it's adding a whole new dimension in coaching and um, or we you'd call it man management in the NRL. Um, let's just call it player management. But we're talking. We're not talking about player agents. We're talking about the coach. So uh, I'm not sure which direction they're going to go, fellas. I don't know whether they're going to go for someone who's just an experienced rugby league coach, or someone who is an experienced at coaching in the female space. So uh, have you got any thoughts? Do you think they? Do you think they will, or do you think they need to go for someone with a high profile who is a high profile coach? Um, I'd want to answer. Yeah, I'll, I'll let yeah, you go first, um, quick. Because um, uh, you can make a case either way for a variety of different reasons. But, you know, I, I, I think ultimately what we want out of the next coach is someone who can take these players to the next level, you know. And um, we've been touching on throughout the course of this season that um, the NRLW side has looked like they're um, a flower that's trying to break through the surface of the soil. And every time we're about to, it's almost as though there's torrential rain that then comes down and prevents that, and they, 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 they start from, um, from a base position again. You know, what we want is someone who can help, help the team transition and, and actually make that breakthrough because, um, yeah, as you both have, have said, th- there's a good nucleus there that is a couple of shrewd additions to the squad could absolutely um, see themselves skyrocket back up the ladder and, and certainly be a, a, a contender. And, you know, there's enough talent that exists on the market at the moment that should certain players be acquired and granted that there, there would be a body of work in, in trying to make that happen. Um, there's no reason they can't, um, they, 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 they can't have those aspirations, but, um, you know, I'd like to see a, a leader, um, you know, who who has the capability of um, of helping the players break through and 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 go to that next level. And you know, by virtue of that answer, I lean towards someone who um, who has an established pedigree in doing just that. And you probably lean more towards a, a bigger name, you know. But you know, you say a bigger name with a track record. But in lieu, in, in lieu of that, you know. Um, they don't. They also don't have to be someone that um, has um, a wealth of um, senior experience, but certainly someone who has a track record of of player growth and and, and taking players to the next level, even at a, um, at a, um, a a junior level or a um, or a less senior level, I should say. Um, that, that that's the type of quality I'd be looking out for and hoping that we use to frame the recruitment of the next coach. And. Just on, on that, I mean, first of all, our thanks to Dean Witters because he's really a, a favourite son of the Parramatta Reels with his mm. playing around with the club and then coming in as the inaugural coach. Um, and you know, he's certainly been a coach who has established tight bonds within the team because, the, I mean, the, the girls, uh, I think a feature of, of the team has 
has been that they, you know, they really um, enjoy pulling on the Eels jersey. And whilst we haven't got the results that they've wanted this year, um, you can still see in in the games, in the in the bright moments, how much they um, enjoy playing alongside each other. The um, obviously the disappointing thing was losing the number of players that they did coming into this season, and probably Dino wouldn't have had much um, say in that um, because it's you know it starts to come down to. Um, that open market where everyone is a free agent, it, it just becomes uh, that. That's a really tough gig, and I mean, it's arguable we didn't do as good a job as as some other clubs did in assembling the roster. Or you know, albeit that we had some injury issues this year, I don't think we got to see the best of a number of players this season. Um, but the the other side of that argument, with in saying. Look, thanks to thanks to Dean and you know his his role that he played is that it becomes like when the coach is finally announced for next season, it becomes like part of this new horizon, doesn't it? Like there is for the players, they know that there's going to be um, a difference in how they will be prepared. And um, if you're bouncing out of a wooden spoon season, that's probably, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, especially if, I mean, I, I, I guess the thing that's unusual there is they were conducting a review into the season is that Dean Witters has just said, look, um, you know, I can't, I can't juggle my responsibilities anymore. Um, you know, it's best if part of the moving forward involves finding a new coach. And I mean, all power to him to mm. for, for saying that now and to step in, and stepping away from coaching as he appears he's going to do. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think in the short history of the club, it's, it's probably not a bad time to look to see can you know, how much difference they can make because how much talent's out there for them to change and chase? I don't know. I mean, maybe there isn't the sort of players available that they feel they would need. So um, a change of coach obviously becomes an option and uh, Dean Witters has provided that opportunity by walking away. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that just about wraps up our Eels news, doesn't it? Yeah, unless something's broken in the meantime, which having a quick gander around, I don't think there is anything on the old internet. No. So we can move on to the NRL portion of the podcast, and we start off with grand final week uh, news and banter and uh, maybe some optimistic aspirations by the Penrith Panthers as they uh, <laughs> look to get the entirety of the Sydney Metropolitan supporter base rallying around them. Um, look, fair play to the Panthers. If they do the three-peat, they'll be worthy champions. Um, but I think it's uh, given how braggadocious and how cocky their team has been across the last three or four years, uh, to try and get Sydney to rally around you might be a bridge too far, uh, I think, perhaps. 
I think I think you're being incredibly kind there, John, because um, the carry on after last year's grand final and the audacity uh, to suggest that we would anyway want to be their ally after the way that we were chastised um, after that grand final victory, which again, I, 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 I still to this day do not understand why as NRL premiers, back-to-back -back NRL premiers, you're even thinking about the opposition that you beat. I'm thinking about how good is this to be doing this with my mates and we get to celebrate it with our community. I'm not thinking about the opposition. They haven't crossed my, 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 my thought process since the final whistle blew. I'm all about the celebration with my people, you know? So, um, you know, to, to try and, and think, um, you know, I, I think it was um, Brian Fletcher, the Panthers group CEO, who, who tries to just, you know, um, supporters like us would be on, on the Penrith bandwagon. Um, think again, mate. Yeah, it's it's actually quite laughable that um, you know we would that Eels supporters would completely uh, you know push aside the we hate para chance mm. and go well you might hate us but we love you Penrith oh yeah. we wish you know we wish you all the best this year man I, I tell you why they feel this way is because they got 35,000 mm -hmm. to Acor Stadium for the preliminary final. I mean, that is – that's not good. I mean, you had uh, – and look, I know they, they, were, they were playing, uh, uh, you know, an out-of-town out of team, uh, but, you know, like – no, that well, is well, not. Just, just this year, yeah. I'm pretty certain that there were some stats that broke across the weekend because at the same time in the AFL, GWS was playing Collingwood down in the MCG and there was um, some um, TV viewership statistics that suggested that for a large portion of the night that there was more people um, from Sydney, um, from Western Sydney, watching GWS play um, Collingwood in the AFL than Penrith in the NRL. Yeah. So on top of that crowd stat, that, that, that's quite damning because it's not as though GWS are known for their support or their supporters. Yeah, and it's, that's something that uh, I was going to, um, I wanted to raise as well because, as I said, you've got the 35,000 that are there and, like, during the year, commentators like Vossi have been saying, uh, you know, just what size stadium would would Penrith need to, you know, you, you couldn't build a stadium big enough to accommodate how many fans would want to be here watching them every week. No, you, you got your answer. Like, in the penultimate game of the season, to qualify for the finals, that it tops out at 35,000. Now, you know, it, it's probably a half decent crowd that's there, but you'd only say half decent. Then, as you said, the NRL got some pretty low uh, ratings for uh, the television coverage. And, I mean, straight away you've got the 97,000 that are there in attendance in Melbourne. And I don't like giving AFL any plug whatsoever. It's a diabolical game, and I couldn't be. I have zero interest in it, absolutely zero interest in it. So anyone that thinks I'm going to 
you know, get on an AFL bandwagon also <laughs> think again because, I, you know, like it's it, it's just a, you know, look, I, I can understand the skills of the players, but as a game, no thank you. No thank you. And as a TV spectacle, it's, uh, yeah, it's garbage. But um, when it came to the getting those sorts of ratings figures, I mean, they, they speak for themselves. Like, the NRL has always prided itself on, on having really competitive viewership numbers and numbers that have consistently outrated the AFL, especially in pay, on pay TV platforms. But, you know, like, I think there's a, a large component of that that relies on certain NRL clubs being involved mm-hmm in big games mm-hmm. and what's what would be concerning for Penrith supporters uh, sorry for the Penrith club is that as we say this is a this is a generational team mm. that the Panthers have yeah, there an actual dynasty it is yep I mean in all honesty that I mean they're in the fourth grand final in a row that's where you're starting to talk you know like really elite performance, especially in the modern game, to go consecutive grand finals like that, let alone potentially having a three-peat, I wouldn't back against them making the grand final again next year. Such is the strength of their club. Um, Where it comes apart, I don't know. I don't know when it will come apart. You can never predict... It might only take the loss of through injury of a couple of key players, and then and maybe a season will fall apart. But you just have to think they're going to be hard to beat against next year. I mean, you you look at both the grand finalists and you go uh, try competing against them, fellas. You know, like mm-hmm. that's that's a that's a real cold hard reality slap to the face when you see the difference between the two grand finalists and every other club this year, including our own Eels. And, I mean, we got over the Panthers twice. But I look at how the Broncos are playing and I go, you know, they they could beat everyone in a canter except maybe Penrith, but I think they can beat Penrith and we'll get to that mm-hmm. in a moment. Um, and Penrith have had the measure of us in finals football. So... Um, yeah, and, and if you've got such a strong team, if you've got a generational team like that, you'd think you'd be selling memberships. Yeah, like, doubling that know, crowd figure. Oh, you know, and I mean, yes, the Eels, when they had their, their finals match against the the Dogs and they got well over 70,000, yes, that was two, two Sydney clubs that were there, but... You know, it's the Eels got well, fifty thousand against the Cowboys in twenty seventeen. Yeah, yeah. And, I was and, about and, to say. And by way of comparison, while we're on that subject, you know, in, in the Nathan Highmarsh Luke for retirement game when Parramatta finished up with a wooden spoon in twenty twelve, still got over forty five thousand out to Olympic Park for that game in the final round of the season as well. Yep, yep. Yeah, there is, um, I think, as much as. I think this is actually one of the reasons why we live in the heads of Panthers supporters and some players is that um, 
despite their success, where they should just be reveling in their success. And I will openly admit, hey, I'm I'm envious of Panthers supporters having such a a successful team to support. I've no qualms about saying that. I wish my team was as successful as Penrith is right now. So I'm not going to come in at this with any, um, you know, unnatural uh, bias. I, I I can openly admit how good their team is, but I'll tell you what, I it, I think it still grates at them that they are little brother. In every other respect, they. It's like any any victory they can get over Parramatta is is one that they rejoice even more simply because we live in their heads. Mm. And I'm not going to back away from that. I, I've I've been to too many games at Penrith Park and had insane behaviour directed at me simply for wearing Parramatta colours. So I know we live in their heads. <laughs> And uh, it, it, yeah, obviously, Grand Final West can make for strange bedfellows. I don't know if I'm going to be cheering for the Brisbane Broncos boys. Um, I don't really have a you know dog, horse, panther in this race. Um, <laughs> obviously, part of me as a Parramatta fan would love to see the Eels, you know, preserve history as like the last free peat in rugby league. But this Penrith team is that good. Um, you could easily see them being worthy free peat champions there. Um, but yeah, the the catch cry to rally around Penrith, it definitely falls on deaf ears and mine. It, it's very tone deaf. Like, you know, like I said, how to how cocky, arrogant and braggadocious that team has been over the last few years. And look, they've backed up the talk. They've walked the walk and fair enough to them there. But you can't turn around and say, hey, guys, remember how much you like us? It's like, no, nah, not really. <laughs> no, well, you know what? As much as it sickens me because I never thought it would happen, <laughs> I will probably be cheering for the Broncos this week, and it's and it feels wrong on every level. It's, it's but, the old the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah, yeah. It's just I I I, I respect the hell out of Penrith, mm. and as I said earlier, I I'm at the moment I don't see an end to their success. No. They are still uh, poised to to win and win and win. I think I think Brisbane has the potential to beat them this week. Um, and as I said, unfortunately, I'll be cheering for the Broncos. I, I don't know how invested I am in in watching the game. I'm watching it simply because I'm a you know a bit of a fanatic about rugby league, um, but. Yeah, I guess there's, yeah, I, I, uh, especially after last year, and the and the uh, ridicule that was directed at Parramatta. Um, yeah, I'll be cheering for the Broncos. The uh, teams are in, which means the officials are in as well for who's got uh, the main whistle in this game, and by virtue of being the least shit official in the final series, <laughs> congratulations to Adam G. Uh, for getting the main whistle in the big dance. Um, Ashley Klein, Grant Atkins and Gerard Sutton, I think, were the other contenders. And, well, Klein and Sutton had, uh, let's just say, less than uh, compelling performances in their respective final games of the season. So, G- Adam G. 
Adam G, the referee, who I think we have the worst record under. So it, we, we picked a, we picked a good final series to bomb out. Sorry, what was that? So we picked a good final series to to bomb out of oh, before yeah. it got kicked off. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm, from memory, don't we have the? I think the, it's like a forty percent win rate. Right? Yeah, right. yeah, across a lot of games. It's not a small sample size. Um, but yeah, he he has been the least controversial, least awful official, um, which really again segues us uh, into the real topic here of the state of NRL officialdom, boys. It's been a red-hot topic after what we saw in the Warriors-Broncos elimination final for a ticket in the big dance. Uh, it's fair to say I think the Broncos were pretty healthily on top at that point. I think it was 24-12. Uh, but one of the most outrageous forward passes that was missed happened in that game of, of all time. I mean, it was legitimately NFL stuff. Uh, Reese Walsh making a line break and then flinging the ball good three or four metres forwards right in front of all the officials. Uh, what what do we do here? Like, the, there's been all this talk about the the bunker needs to be able to intervene in these clear and, uh, you know, obvious situations. And then, obviously, the line gets blurred as to what is clear and obvious. Um, there's going to be, at some point, you know, a, a controversial sort of borderline call in that, if you walk down that path... Brent Reid was copying it from all the other three panellists on NRL 360 for being against that. Um, and when they asked him, you know, what was his solution, I think it was as simple as, you know, the officials just need to be better. That is something that we've been saying for a long time on this podcast. Anyone that's listened to us for more than an episode knows that we've been, even if we're understanding of how difficult it is to coach, uh, to referee and coach, I suppose, but that's a different conversation, uh, but referee in the NRL, uh, the standards have been slipping and slipping and slipping, and it feels like they've just hit a critical point this final series where the, the the sort of almost the move the goalpost line has always been, well, uh, you know, what happens if it costs, you know, a team in the finals or it's okay it didn't cost someone in the finals. We, we're finally starting to see some really heinous calls costing teams in finals. Um, uh, is the NRL ready to have a proper conversation or do we still have to keep, you know, doing the pub banter? Well, for a start, you talked about the, the Broncos being on top in that game and that it was probably the call was probably not going to cost uh, the Warriors um, a win. Well, the shame about a call like that is that we'll never know because yeah, the, the Broncos were superior to that point, but a call that has that as a forward pass and all of a sudden you've got to change your position you potentially have a change of momentum because you don't know what unfolds. How many times do you see in a game where one team is on top and and looks like they're firing on all cylinders, they make a mistake when they're clearly just starting to tear a team apart and all of a sudden the, the world caves in and you just get a complete shift in what's happening in the game? It happens time and time again in matches and it's all around errors, but normally it's errors that are, that are picked up. Um, this one, man, that was a, that was a clang. There, there is no I, I excuse for that to ever be missed no, ever. No, you, you can't have officials that are all over the, where the play is and have everyone in the stadium and everyone at home going, what the hell just happened there? 
Like it just so happens that you get all three on-field officials for some reason can't see just how far forward the ball has travelled. And you can't, and I know you're not supposed to be tipped in by the bunker, but you'd, you'd almost think in in a scenario like that... In the fair dinkum stakes, like, yeah, the, the, the bunker the, needs the... There's not a whisper goes yeah. out, to, out to the ref, uh, you, you pull it up, mate. Pull it up. You got a you got a bad forward pass. Now they're probably not allowed to do it. And with sports ears, people would have heard it. But um, standard of refereeing, mate. Uh, yeah, I think I think it is at a at an all time low right now. I have defended referee. Uh, yes, I'll criticise referees, but I've always said. There is a vast chasm between the referees now and what referees used to be like in the 60s, 70s, 80s, um, even into the 90s. Um, the standard of refereeing was just, I mean, there, there was no comparison. The, the, the blokes these days are under far more scrutiny and make, and make, Far fewer yeah, mistakes. More eyes, more cameras. Of yep. They are fit. They are athletes in their own right. They take what they do seriously. Um, and. But the, as the referees have gotten more professional, there's been a lot more bullshit creeping into the game, too. There's wrestle, there's one on one strips, there's teams that know how to manipulate offsides. They've been fighting a battle to keep up with the arms race of coaches trying to get any advantage they can. And um, and also, can I just say, bullshit rules being and, and yeah, constant 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 rule changes and rule tinkerings every season because the product needs to be changed for whatever reason. Uh, and on top of that, that we, we, they had two main refs. They went away from it, putting more pressure on the main official to call all facets of uh, regular play. Uh, you know, the, the bunkers had a fluctuating amount of input into the game. It can intervene on certain things like 20-meter restarts and line dropouts, but it can't intervene on other stuff. Foul play can be touched, but other stuff can't. Um, so it, wildly inconsistent on all levels. I, I think on top of – well, I, I think the bunker conceptually is a good idea. I think it's been close to an abject failure in terms of delivering one of its pillars of what it promised in being consistency – in adjudication from the the third or video official, the third party official, uh, but I still think there is merit to the bunker, obviously. But I think the the biggest failing has been that there just isn't enough eyes live on the game or in the game on the ball or on you know the defense or the offense. So I, I think that the single biggest thing they could could do is bring back the second main official, but make him the purely the pocket referee, so that there is consistency to the officiating of the game. There's only one main whistle, but there is a referee looking for the knock-ons, looking for the offsides. Uh, you know, the, the touch judges, I've always said that there should be two touches on both sides, one to adjudicate forward passes from both angles and one to adjudicate offsides from both angles. Um, but that costs money. And one thing any organisation hates doing is spending money. So I, I don't know if they're willing to do that, but things have to change. It, it isn't good enough. Like, the, it has dominated the conversation to run to the grand final now. And it, it is actively taken away from the spectacle. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Clint. Any? I don't think I can have any, much uh, more than what, what additional you just thoughts, said, Jen. 
look, I think even calling it a clanger is being very kind because watching that in real time, um, the Reese Walsh forward pass, obviously, that I'm referring to here, uh, I think it's it may very well have been the poorest refereeing um, decision or lack thereof or, that I've ever seen. It's right up um, there. It, it, it was like malfeasance. And 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 to to be honest, I've I've, I've uh, granted if they miss something that bad, they're probably not going to pick up something um, minor. I didn't think the Colbo pass that forward that was backwards. That, that gets pulled up plenty. Yeah, that that yeah. on its own gets pulled up plenty. But the Reese Walsh one, I mean, I remember the the shit storm that Manly kicked up when was it Chris Keating uh, through that. That forward pass to, in our, um, our, to Eric Gross Jr. Yeah, in our big comeback against them, and you know, fair enough to Manly, that was very forwards. I don't think it holds a candle what we saw in that one, both no. individually on the pass and contextually in, in the high stakes game. Uh, you know, literally the second biggest game to be played this year, outside the big dance this week, and for a team in the Warriors who were trying to brave the odds and and at twenty four twelve, like obviously Brisbane were on top, but twenty four twelve is not an insurmountable uh, obstacle to overcome. Like Craig said, uh, momentum can flick at the drop of a dime and they would have had midfield possession of a chance to, to get into the Brisbane half and attack. So, yeah, not not a great look for the game. And Annesley did his typical hand-waving, like, yeah, the decision should have been <laughs> been different, blah, blah, blah. Uh, tell, tell that to the Warriors. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they've got every reason to feel aggrieved there. Uh, a fairy tale run comes, unfortunately, one game short of where they wanted to be. Uh, but for the Broncos, yeah, they're, they're, they probably were going to win. And they're, they're still an electrifying team. And, you know, Reese Walsh, who made the, the bad pass there, they got away with it, uh, you know, got to flex some of his uh, goldfish memory in a good way, had that early interception mm-hmm. against uh, to Dowling with Teens Lesniak, uh, but then came back and had a, a whale of a game. They just... Penrith are a very... Like, they... They're relentless, right? Penrith, they're just a machine when they're in finals gear. The the thing that really stands out for this Broncos team, for me, is they are just fast. They fly everywhere. Mm-hmm. They they have got pace. They've got, obviously, a trio of middles in, headed by Payne Haas, but Pat Carrigan and Thomas Flegler, uh, who are as formidable as any trio in the competition, Penrith and Parramatta and all those other teams included. Uh, but you just watch... Reese Walsh really is the, the lightning bolt there, but... Their entire back line, their back row, even their middles, they're just flying to the football at every angle where it's a tackle defense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you what they remind me of, and I've, I think it would have been frightening to watch them live at the ground last week with the pace that they were playing at because uh, if I can use an example... The Melbourne Storm, at their peak, with um, someone like Cameron Smith leading the way, played at a frightening pace. But if you could deal with normally their opening explosion of, of power and speed, you could go with them later. And... I remember seeing that, and I think that's what Parramatta gradually got better at doing with the Storm. Um, but it wasn't evident. It was never evident like that watching them on television. It was always, if you you watched them at the ground 
and you'd see that many bodies in motion and that much speed in the play, and you'd think to yourself, I don't know how any defence is going to stop this. It, it was almost too much to keep up with watching just, like as I said, just the bodies in motion um, that would surely have been a nightmare for defences out there. Now, what I saw from the Broncos last week looked fast on television, and it concerns me that when you look that fast on television, how fast they must be in reality for a mm-hmm. defensive team to deal with. Because uh, unless you've... And, I, and I, it's, I don't mean this to sound in any way elitist, just that you're elitist in going to a game of football. Rather there there is a difference, though, from the, the TV product and the live product. Oh, mm. yeah. Yeah, because, as I said, you you see far more of the -the off-the-ball action, all the sort of stuff that's done to either keep defences guessing or or in defence to limit what attacks can throw at them. It's it's all of the... uh, Just the, the structures, the communication, the interaction between the players, all of those things that are, that are part of the pace at which the game is played, and um, yeah, you—I mean, sometimes you you come home and you watch the game and you think that doesn't look like what I've watched tonight, <laughs> <laughs> like because yeah. it just doesn't capture it. And um, as I said, the Storm were a team at at their peak where I used to be thinking, oh. There's no way of stopping this team. But mm. if a, if someone could go with them in their opening salvos, then you were some sort of a chance because you no one can play at that pace for an entire game unless unless they're given free reign to do it. And uh, by free reign, I mean turning over cheap ball, um, Giving them far more possession than uh, than that what they should have, and then you're just up against it because when someone plays that fast, you just you're constantly backpedaling, and that's what happened with the Warriors. But you're right, John. I mean, Reese Walsh, he's a competition winner. He, he he's is a, a difference maker mm, of the highest order. I can't remember what uh, joke movie it was from, but. The, he is the embodiment of he makes other fast people look not fast. Like yes. he, he plays at a pace where he's sort of just sauntering around, backing up a fullback, then suddenly he's gone through the line. Um, he he is electric. Just that try, that try that he set up under the post for um, Walters, and you could see um, watching it that he's just out the back, and he's. He had no intention of being involved in the play. And then he could see that the second phase was going to create an opportunity on that left-hand edge. And he just accelerated. And you knew that ball was going to go to him and it was going to, he was going to cut through the line. I was... like before he cut through the line, you just knew it's coming to him. They won't be able to stop him. I was watching the game with my brother and my father uh, and... My my brother, who you know, has played plenty of sports, is like you know, and is no foreigner to rugby and rugby league. Uh, actually, thought you know, so, such was Walsh's burst. He actually thought that Walsh had 
almost mis- he had misplayed that play and it intercepted the pass meant for his outside backs. I was like, no, no, I think he was just that fast that he went from not being involved to being the guy for the play, mm. uh, which, you know, is a testament to just how quickly he goes from zero to 100. So uh, truly an elite fullback, and you talk about X factors, he is the embodiment of it. And, you know, you, you can only hope that the Eels can find a player in somewhere near that calibre in their long and lonely search for the uh, mythical X factor player. Uh, but yeah, I know a lot of talk goes to Adam Reynolds being the key factor for turning the Broncos around. But he was he was there for the last year or so. It was the addition of Reese Walsh this year, which just he was the piece that when you know you're making your jigsaw puzzle and you've got one pile of things there and one pile of things here, and one pile of things there. He was like the middle piece that linked everything together. You know, he he yeah. made he made everything. He made their forwards better because he's always backing up on Payne Haas and Flegler and Carrigan and making their runs better because he can get the offloads. He made Adam Reynolds better because his ability to be the link man out the back and be the recipient of the attacking kicks, you know, enhances Reynolds's game. Uh, just an absolutely special talent. You know, a bit of a, a prat off the field, but I suppose when you're that good on the field, you get away with it. Uh, but he's going to be nullifying him will be key for the Penrith Panthers. Yeah. So, um, Clint, just on this, like the Eels have had regular season success against the Panthers where probably evenly matched when it comes to pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I go, okay, I think the Broncos have their measure for pace. Um, I think the Eels have, when all the players are playing to their potential, um, a bit of an edge in the middle. And um, if we could play off the – when the Eels play off the back of that – it's when they that's when they give the Panthers problems. Uh, a bit of second phase play, um, getting a roll on through the middle, and they don't like it. Now, no one plays with the level of pace that the Broncos do. No one's got pace right across the board in the back line that the Broncos do. Uh, the, no forward pack plays as fast as the Broncos forwards do, will pace overcome the Panthers' systems, the Panthers' self-belief, the the Panthers' teamwork, and Nathan Cleary on Sunday night. I love the presupposition and the build-up to that question because it's it, it, it's absolutely uh, one of the points that I wanted to add to what you, you've um, both spoken to so far. Um, my answer to that question is yes, on the caveat, on the caveat that um, that the Broncos complete. If they start throwing the ball around and it hits the deck, that'll play right into Penrith's hands, and they'll cho- they'll slowly choke them out of the game, and um, the Broncos will rule a lost opportunity. But if the ball sticks. And, you know, it's worth noting it's going to be a pretty hot one on Sunday. It's going to be a, a, a top of 34. We don't know how much that heat will linger and whether there's any humidity with that at this point. Um, but um, if, if the ball does stick um, and some of those attacking weapons get uh, unleashed, absolutely, because um, the one knock on this Penrith side and this, um, you know, beginning of in, in the middle of dynasty that you want to call it of sorts, is they've never had out-and-out pace. 
They've um, they've managed games perfectly. They've choked teams out, um, very similar to how the Storm teams of old prior to them used to do. Um, but they've never had out-and-out pace. And it's, it's been one of the reasons why um, our side, with its playing style, has normally matched very well against uh, the Panthers in years gone by and why we've been able to handle them um, with more success than other teams in the regular season for, for the better part of the last three or four years. Um, you know, and, and then likewise, you know, it's no surprise it's the teams with um, with pace across their back line that we struggle to contain. You know, with the with the Broncos this year, you know, some of some of the games against the uh, the Sharks when they've utilised um, some of their outside backs um, to good effect, we we struggle to maintain them at certain points as well. Um, you know, uh, different times against the Roosters when depending who's been playing. Um, you know the teams. The teams that have some faster plays in the back line, um, uh, the Eels have struggled to manage. Um, I th- I think that from a matchup perspective, this this heavily weighs in Brisbane's uh, favour because of this. Um, but you know, the completions are going to be key, and um, you know you you got you, you kind of wonder with the way in which a guy like Reese Walsh plays, being their biggest attacking weapon, he also likes to take take risks. And um, that's that's part and parcel of the game. You know, you gotta um, uh, you gotta risk it for the biscuit. And um, Stephen Crichton you know, loves an intercept. He is absolutely. The, uh, he is, uh, absolutely. you know, the. So I wonder you know, if um, both teams will be trying to mind game themselves in that regard because Crichton has come up trumps in big games with the intercepts. So mm-hmm. Walsh will have to be cognizant of that. Uh, but yep. you know, so too they can take advantage of it if they are able to do the mix up and put the kick through or play short or direct uh, with uh, if he ends up trying to freelance with the intercept. And and that's why I look to someone like Adam Reynolds in this game that um, he, 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 you know, he's got a fantastic kicking game. He's, he's got, he's got just about everything in his kicking arsenal. Um, I, I, I think with his influence on the game and, and um, you know, on the, uh, in the hope that uh, Brisbane can utilize Walsh to, to full effect, there's a lot going for them in this, but they're, they're, they're going to have, they're, they can't try to win it in the first minute. They've got to be prepared to win it in the 79th and, 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 um, and build to that. And I think if they play that style, they will actually win it earlier. But, you know, um, the, the second their completion rates um, probably dip below 85%, it'll, it'll all fall into Penrith's lap. Well, are we ready for some tips in for both the NRL and the NRLW? Yeah, and just on the NRLW, I suppose, fair shout-out to the Gold Coast Titans who upset the All-Star Sydney Roosters in a 12-0 shout-out to get there. In the other game, the Newcastle Knights had a thriller against the Broncos, 30-24. to uh, A flurry of late tries to the Broncos made it very close. Uh, Lauren Dam getting a double in the 61st and 67th minute, but uh, Tiana Davison scoring in the 65th minute was enough to get the Knights home, so... This sets up a, an intriguing game here too with the reigning premiers looking to go back-to-back and set up their own dynasty. But the uh, Gold Coast Titans, the most improved team in the competition uh, and the one that absolutely spanked us a couple of weeks ago, looking to make a little bit of history, be the first expansion team to... Well, sorry, the Knights won, but the second expansion team uh, to go out there and win a title. So, yeah, very, very keen to see how this one plays out, boys. This was obviously the curtain raiser to the main dance. Um well, let's go for our tips there. Yeah, let's start. First. Let's start there. Uh, are the Newcastle Knights going to be too good, or can the Gold Coast Titans engineer 
what? Let me just see if I got the lines up here because you got to imagine that the Titans are fair outsiders here, and I can't see a line at the moment. So I don't know who is the outsider or how much they're outside by. Uh, but looking at these two teams, Upton versus Polite, uh, you've got uh, the young Jesse Southwell uh, who's managed to push through a pretty bad cork from a, a game or two ago and be fit for this one. Uh, she's up against Lauren Brown in the halves. Uh, in the front row, Prebidon and Johnson up against Marto and Elston. Uh, Clydesdale, the other Southwell, uh, Shaley Bent, uh, Georgia Hale. Uh, you got former Eel Nita Maynard on the bench. Uh, any other former Eels in this team? Rima Butler's on the interchange. Um, I don't think the Titans picked up any Parramatta Eels. So, yeah, be interesting to see how you boys tip this one. I think Upton is the key. I mean, she was a big part of the Broncos' dominance before, and she's just she can give the she can bring the unexpected into the game. A class player. Now, now that's not in any way a knock on the um, on the Titans' fullback because she's been phenomenal herself and is a is basically a large part of the reason why they are in the grand final. But I just think it's a credit. I mean, let me start off by saying I think it's a credit to both of these teams because they don't have the star power of either the Broncos or the Roosters, but they manage to eliminate the the absolute star-studded teams in the semifinals last week. And that's that was no small feat because the fact that they were both able to do it says something about, you know, the uh, a champion, the old saying the champion team beating a team of champions. Well, both of them were able to execute that Lo and behold. perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, look, I'm probably leaning towards the Knights. They've been there, done that. They've got a key player like Upton there. Southwell's getting better with every game. Uh, Jesse, that is. Um, yeah, look, I think they get the job done. I think they win by uh, a margin of between 12 and 16 points. Yeah, I'm with I you, 16. Relatively comfortable. Uh, I think the script writes itself mostly on, on Sunday. Nights to be probably 13-plus winners. Tamika Upton to win the uh, Clive Churchill equivalent and uh, first try scorer. Well, you, you'd be wouldn't be uh, crazy to back Upton for the double, but they've got a, a ways to, to strike all around the park, whether it's through the front row or out wider. Um, Quint, I'm sure if you're going to be the uh, dissenting voice here, but it is difficult to see anything but a Newcastle back to back title. Um, you might as well call us NSYNC here, boys, because I've got written in my notes here, Newcastle 24-10 and Upton as player of the match and first try, or try scorer. Yeah. If she's not scoring the try, there's a strong chance she's heavily involved in the lead-up to it. Absolute star of the code. Which brings us to the main event where we've already talked about it a plenty, but the Penrith Panthers looking to go back to back to back, take on the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, we didn't talk about it in our little uh, preamble, boys, but the Broncos had a few concerns coming into this game. I think most notably, Herbie Farnworth left training with a potential hamstring scare today. I think that that was about seven hours ago was the update, and then I think about six or five hours ago, there was uh, 
I don't know if it's true, but they, they said that uh, alongside uh, Payne Haas, Adam Reynolds and Reese Walsh, Farnworth has been cleared to play. So uh, we'll have to wait and see if there's anything more to that or if it's just the typical grand final week shenanigans. Uh, Let's call it the shenanigans. The yep. shenanigans. But as it stands, both teams looking to be close to or close enough to not make a difference to full strength. Walsh versus Edwards at the fullback. Taruva and To'o up against Arthurs and Cobbo. And then you've got Isaac Tungor, Stephen Crichton, Katoni Staggs, Herbie Farnworth, two outstanding backlines there, all representative caliber players pretty much. In the halves, Luai has uh, managed to somehow uh, push through that shoulder injury and get back last week and then back it up this week. He'll be up against Ezra Mam, Cleary up against Reynolds, another star-studded set of halves there. Leota, Fisher-Harris, Flegler, Haas, Carrigan, Yo, fantastic middles. Uh, Mitch Kenny versus Billy Walters, probably the... um the sort of Costco budget, uh, you know, parts of the team there for both rosters. I know yes. about, yep. I know about <laughs> Walters is obviously the coach's son. He's had a very good year. Likewise, Mitch Kenny. Uh, but I think it's fair to say that neither of them are superstars, uh, but they've punched above their weight this year. In the back row, Sorensen and Martin are on the edges for the Panthers, Capel and Ricky for the Broncos. And, uh, yeah, well, Scott Sorensen and uh, Jordan Ricky probably a little bit similar there in, in regards to being vastly improved players. Um, I know Sorensen's built nicely at Penrith over the last couple of seasons. Jordan Ricky was, in my in my books, close to a meme defensively last year. Um, he was an absolute turnstile, was missing multiple tackles a game. He's obviously worked very hard on that, and on top of that, has uh, really applied himself off the ball. He's probably the best kick-chasing forward in the competition, and that really augments what the likes of Adam Reynolds can bring to the team. So more power to him. On the interchange, uh, you've got the utility Cogger, just in case something goes wrong with Luai. Uh, Lindsay Smith, Spencer Lenu, and Luke Garner. Uh, not the strongest bench, you've got to say, for the Penrith Panthers, but they make it work. On the flip side, uh, for the Broncos, Tyson Smoothie, Brendan Piakura, Kobe Harrington, and Keenan Palacia round out their game day interchange. On the extended... It feels uh, very similar. Yeah, like the, the, the starters do a lot of heavy lifting in, this, in these two teams, um, and they also you know, facilitate positions for the role players to be better than what they probably are in a vacuum. So that's, you know, credit to the coaching, to the systems in place of the two clubs. Um, and we've seen Parramatta do something similar to some other players, but uh, these two teams have obviously taken that to another level this year. Uh, notable inclusions in the extended rosters. You've got Peachy, Eisenhue, Hosking on one side. You've got Oates, Tapau, uh, and Tristan Saylor on the other so I, I can't imagine any of those players coming into the equation, but like I said, because that's because these two teams are probably close to full strength. Yep. Yeah, so tip time. Um, you know, on the proviso that the errors are kept to a minimum, I can see the Broncos upsetting the Panthers in this one. Um, last week I was playing... Uh, a little bit of devil's advocate, uh, uh, a little bit of being able to um, throw a, a, a difference out there in in uh, tipping the outsiders. But I, as you fellas know, I had no belief that anything other than the Broncos and Panthers... Yeah, we, we got the results we expected, even happen. if we weren't tipping yeah. for them. Yeah. Yeah. However, I, I say this with a genuine belief. The Broncos have the capacity to beat the Panthers in this. There is no team that plays as fast as the Broncos. There is no team out there that has a Reese Walsh. There is no team out there that can 
do the damage from offloading like the Broncos can, and I'm even including our Eels, who are, have a, a very good offloading game. But when the Broncos offload, you've got you got the pace out there that can take full advantage of a scattered defensive line or, or a defensive line that's moving backwards because it's a late offload and they're, they're already moving back into their defensive position for the play of the ball. So you've got a retreating defence that an offload's going against. Um, the Panthers, what you can say about them is they've got that self-belief, they've got the systems. They've been there, done that. They're not going to be overawed by the occasion. Um, Nathan Cleary is the voice of his father out there on the field. So the coach's instructions... They are well and truly delivered out there on the field. There is no doubt, as I said before, they're a generational team. But grand finals do deliver upsets. And I believe we'll see an upset this week. And the Broncos will win by a margin of 10-plus. Best on field, Reese Walsh. First try scorer, Herbie Farnworth. Clint. Yeah, Quinn, how do you see this one playing out, mate? Um, like I, I said to the NRLW, at least in this instance, I'm in sync with uh, with Craig here. I, I've I've had a feeling about Brisbane for the better part of the last six weeks. I've got a good, a very good friend who is in, who is a very big uh, Broncos supporter. Um, so I, I pay a little bit more attention to their games because of him. Um. And I've really liked what I've seen for, for the better part of the last two months. Um, you know, for all the reasons that Craig touched on, um, I'm seeing a, a Brisbane victory 22 to 10. Uh, my first try scorer is Selwyn Cobo. My man of the match is Reese Walsh. Mm. I, I, I think Penrith get the job done. I think they join the Parramatta Reels as the you know, two modern team three Peters, but I can I can definitely see a path to how Brisbane do it, and I'm sort of having a bite both ways there. I know, but I I think that Penrith do win. Um, if the Broncos are to do it, obviously Walsh will be a key factor. Um, I think equally Payne Haas will have to be Titanic through the middle, probably playing sixty plus minutes and having a huge factor there. Uh, but I will tip the Panthers as much as it stings. Um, I'll go. Penrith to win 28-14. Dylan Edwards was immense against us. Um, I I expect him to do the same, but clearly he's always a good shout for best on field. Um, But you know what? In saying that, uh, as much as I feel like their backs carry them throughout the regular season, it also puts their forwards in a position to stand up for these games, and Moses Leota in particular was outstanding in the grand final last year, so maybe I'll go for Leota to be the best on field for Penrith. Uh, first try scorer, Liam Martin. You know, it's interesting. We've all gone for a bit of a margin in the games. Mm. So I've said 10 plus. What did your margin come in at there, Clint? Mine was 12. Mine's 12. 14. And, and, and 40's gone for a, a 14 point mm-hmm. difference with uh, the Panthers winning. So we don't. We see the final margin as being relatively comfortable, 
So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, mate, this, this brings us to the last podcast that is dealing with uh, a preview of some sort, um, unless, of course, we get into doing some previews with the international, um, season. The international games. We will be keeping the podcast going um, on a weekly basis. Uh, there is no off-season for uh, TCT. We might take a break at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but there is no there is no off-season for us, so stick with us as um, any news that comes up that we would love to talk about, we'll be bringing it to you on the Cumberland Throw. Um, I'd, I'd like to get my thanks out now to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. Fantastic sponsors, uh, so loyal to us, and um, it allows us to do what we do every week. Um, and um, yeah, looking forward to the grand final and uh, in both the NRL and NRLW. And I guess the only thing we can hope for, fellas, is that may the better team win and that it's not decided upon by uh, officiating mistakes. So, uh, uh, and at, at this stage, even though they're not playing, it's still go you mighty eels. <laughs>